This is Rio Pacino with another Bearing Point podcast. Today I'm here with Andy Sanderson, who is Senior Manager in Charge of Capital Markets in the UK. Andy, thanks a lot for joining me on this podcast. Not a problem. Andy, the topic of today's podcast is rogue traders. Um, first off, can you give us a description on what a rogue trader actually is? Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's a term that um, sort of first really got used around the whole Nick Leeson bearings incident. Um, it's going to imply something a bit more exciting than really it is. I think um, it was good for headlines. Um, it tends to be used mainly for the guys that lose very large amounts of money through nefarious activities in the dealing room. Um, Leeson probably being the most famous, and of course um, the, the current uh, situation at um, at Sokgen in France. Um, it, it's a lot more common than uh, most people probably realise. Just that it's only when it gets to a certain size that it actually hits the the popular press. But the the issues of, of people trading outside mandates are, are commonplace. Now, how can you prevent rogue trading from arising? Well, in a way, that's a bit like saying, "How can we completely eliminate crime?" Um, you, you can't. Um, but what you can do is try and create an environment. I think where, first of all, there's less incentives to do so and an environment where you probably feel more that you're going to get caught. And I think in many organizations today, there are still enough incentives to, to do it if you get into certain situations, and a common belief that you can probably get away with it for a certain period of time. Andy, talk about ways that you can ensure that you guys catch rogue traders before they cause significant losses. Um, yeah, I think that is key, yeah. I think the, the thing is identifying activity that is outside the norm. That means that you kind of need to know what the norm is to start with. Um, and, and this is where some of the challenges arise, because it's, uh, many of the markets are kind of black arts to people that aren't right in the middle of them. And sadly, that does actually include people that aren't in the front office, such as the people that should be putting controls around um, around these sorts of processes, around these sorts of people. I think that it therefore comes down to those controls. If you think of most laws, we have ways of policing these things. And you have to think of some of this as policing. We... On our roads, we put speed cameras in place to ensure that people aren't driving too fast. Now, that doesn't stop people driving at whatever speed they want where there aren't cameras, but if we put enough cameras out there, then people have to keep their speed down because, A, they're hopefully not too sure where all the cameras are, and, uh, and secondly, you, know, you can't just keep speeding up, slowing down, speeding up, slowing down. So you need enough control in there that uh, people believe that they'll get caught if they do it. So the, they need to be visible. The controls need to be visible. And at the same time, they can't be too visible. For kind of what I was just saying, it's if I know where all the controls are, that's when I can start plotting routes around them. Uh, if you look at the two best-known cases, uh, Leeson and Kerbiel, much has been made of the fact that in both situations, they had contact into uh, some of the other areas of the organization. Uh, Lisa's wife worked in the back office. Kevion moved from the back office. And so the other areas that should be performing the double checks 
Um, if you know enough about what the processes are, it's that little bit easier to, to find your way around them. So I think that you can, you can do a lot by looking at the patterns. Uh, the people trade in certain ways, markets generally don't do spectacularly strange things on certain days, and if they do, people will know about it. So if you start looking for uh, patterns emerging or patterns disappearing in terms of uh, trading activity, that's going to give you the first sort of insight. So look for things like increases in volumes or sudden swings in profit or loss um, we, we tend to think of a lot of rogue trading as happening when people make large losses, but it can be driven from the other direction. It may be a loss that's been growing, but suddenly there's a bit of a panic to correct it. And suddenly when it swings the other way, that should be as much of an alert to us as, as an increasing loss. Um, so a, a certain amount of data mining, uh, a certain amount of analysis of trading patterns is, is one way of doing this. Um, but also a better understanding of people. Uh, that's a purely technology-driven approach, but just being aware of what's going on and creating an environment where whistleblowing, as it's known, is actually more likely. Because, uh, you know, I, I use the analogy of speed cameras on roads. I think that, you know, many of us view driving a little bit too fast as probably not quite as much of a crime as murdering people. If we knew of someone that had committed a murder, we'd probably go to the police, but I'm fairly sure we don't all rush around to the police when someone's come around to our house as uh, admitted to driving too fast on the, uh, on the motorway or the, or the freeway. So inside many organizations, going outside trading limits is not viewed as being the ultimate crime and, in fact, uh, isn't therefore not necessarily flagged. So it, it's having that greater visibility... And part of that will be a technology uh, analysis of, of trading patterns. But part of it will be just looking for people behaving slightly differently. Uh, even in large trading rooms, you know, where, and some of these are hundreds of traders, they're still split into teams, and people should know the way that, that the people that work with them operate. So, um, again, it's about patterns, whether we're looking at those from a, uh, a data mining or analysis viewpoint or just a thread's been acting strangely recently angle. Andy, are there any current cultural or financial incentives that reward the behavior that rogue traders display? Yeah, very much so. Um, the, the bonuses paid to traders always make the news. Um, okay, they might not have been as good recently with the, the whole credit crisis, but in a way that even drives it even more. It's a very one-sided game. If I'm a trader and I make really, really big profits uh, for the bank I work for, I get paid a very, very nice bonus. If I make losses for the bank I operate for, I don't have to give any of that money back. If I've made spectacular losses, they may well think that maybe I shouldn't be there next year. Um, and so, you know, job security is one side of it, but I don't ever get asked to give the money back. So these guys, it's like going to the casino where someone stumps up the cash and they say, well, anything you make, you can keep 10% of it. But if you lose it, it doesn't matter. So they're getting one side of the game, and it encourages activities that will push them towards bigger risk because you can't make profits without 
risk, uh, but also it, it doesn't necessarily encourage the, the conservative side of things. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about um, when I first worked in Germany about 15, 16, 17 years ago, um, and insider trading was not illegal there in those days. And although I'm not going to defend insider trading, there was a, a logic there that traders weren't paid bonuses because the information that they had about how to trade on behalf of their organization or their clients was the same information they could use to play with their own money. And that's a direct relationship to what you're doing at, uh, in your job. If these guys were good traders, they could gamble with their own money and make money. If they weren't very good, they'd lose their own money too. Now, clearly, as I said, I'm not suggesting insider trading should be something we would champion, but um, the one-sided nature of bonuses, it, it certainly encourages people to, uh, to worry more about how to make a profit than necessarily worrying too much about running up very large losses. And remember that this goes typically all the way up the chain. So me as a trader, if I make a lot of money, I make a good bonus. Me as a head of desk, if my traders collectively make a lot of money, I get a good bonus, etc., all the way up to CEOs and so on. Now, what that means is not that everybody from the top down is saying, just go and rogue trade. But what it does mean is that I might be slightly inclined to turn a blind eye if I think someone's gone a little way out of, out of line, um, and I think he might be getting the right results from it. So, again, it's, it comes back to the whole sort of cultural thing of, you know, w would you turn in your next-door neighbor for driving a bit too fast on the motorway? Well, if, you're, if you've got someone in your team that you think might have gone outside their limits, but he happens to have made money this time, you probably you might have a quiet word with him, but um, you're, you're probably not going to raise the flags and get the guy suspended. Do type processes make it easier for rogue traders to identify loopholes in the system? Yes and no. Um, I go back to my speed camera analogy. If I know exactly where on a stretch of road I've got speed cameras, I can drive at any speed I want in between them. I slow down to whatever the speed limit is in the vicinity of the camera. As soon as I'm comfortably past it, I can drive in whatever way I choose to. If I really want to get people to drive that, down that piece of road, I make damn sure that I've advertised the fact that there are cameras down it, but I make fairly sure that they're not all really visible. So then I can't speed up safe in the knowledge that there's no camera on this bit. But at the same time, I know that I have to just keep my speed down overall. If I risk it, I know I'm probably going to get caught. And if I do drive down there too fast all the way, I am going to get caught. So there's the two sides. There's the You need the processes to be visible enough that people are going to not try and get around them. So that starts to rule out the problem, which goes back to what you asked at the beginning. How do we prevent it from arising? But then we need to know that they're, they're strong enough that we are going to catch them. So I, I think that, yeah, tight processes are needed. But if they're too well advertised, well, I, that's, where, that's knowing where the speed cameras are. People who uh, supervise operations like middle office and compliance staff, um, are those people able to identify problems early enough? some of the instruments. It's hard to say that in every organization 
that everybody involved down the chain has a thorough understanding of these things. People don't want to look silly, so I've seen personally situations where middle office people, for example, have gone and asked a trader about something, and the trader's answer, they've gone, oh, sorry, and have gone away feeling silly. Now, traders, if they're sitting on a position where they've been doing something that they shouldn't have been doing, are probably not going to volunteer the, well, well, actually, yeah, I've been defrauding the bank, as their first explanation. They're going to stand a fair chance of fobbing people off, of giving them answers where they blind them with science or use some nice complicated words and manage to make these people just sufficiently nervous that they're not going to make themselves look stupid by going, I think this trader might be doing something wrong. Especially because, as I've said before, rogue traders aren't always saying they're losing large amounts of money. So if I'm sitting there thinking that something might have gone wrong, and I've seen some patterns there of, uh, of, of Fred on the options desk making more money than anybody else, I might think something's a bit wrong. But when I go and ask him about it, and he says, well, I'm just bloody good at what I do, I'm probably not going to make myself look foolish going and having a go at a guy who's making lots of money. So I think there are issues around knowledge, but also I think that there's issues around making sure that the right environment is there for people to raise concerns, um, either without the, the issue of just looking silly, but also there are still, it's a very small community, and if you're seen to be raising flags about people that you work alongside and it ever becomes known, you may be limiting your own career options. Um, you only need to look at some of the some of the large and famous uh, occurrences of this to to see that there were people that appeared to know quite a lot about it long before anything got done, and there's got to be reasons why that happens. So education is one thing, but also again, it's a cultural thing. We're ensuring that the the right processes are there, the right means of flagging things that might be of concern. Can technology address the areas just mentioned, uh, behavior process and police education? Um, it can help. Um, in terms of the enforcement of it, it's a hell of a lot easier to look at patterns in trading if you've got the ability to use things like data mining tools. If you've got trading systems, because all of this stuff is being recorded in trading systems, making sure that we're using the technology properly um, having the right sort of access rights so that users can only do the sorts of things they should be able to do. Uh, those sorts of uses of technology are, are going to help control the, the behavior side of it. The process side of things will just making sure that these are properly documented, um, preferably in something that has at least some ability to control it, some sort of workflow application. Again, it's going to help. Um, education, well, I think that's more than just technology, but clearly having access to online training materials or glossaries or, or just information databases where people can look up information if they're not quite sure about something. The more that the, the middle office people, the control people, the compliance people have that knowledge, then, um, the, the better for them. And, uh, Technology could play a part in that. But I, I think that 
anybody who thinks that a, a technology solution uh, is ever going to, to is going to stop this um, is probably missing a large part of the picture. Andy, before we end this podcast, I got a, a three-part question here for you. Uh, one being, uh, why do banks infrequently take a technology-only approach to solving this particular problem? And, and what benefits do they face from, from taking an integrated bearing point approach to the problem? And finally, can a technology-supported rather than driven approach speed up results? I know that's kind of long-winded, but... That, that, that is, yeah, that really is quite some question. Um, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll try and hit on, hit on all three parts of that. Why do people take a technology-only approach? Um, because it's, it's easy, and if you automate it, it should work better. Um, because it's a way of showing that you're doing something. Why do many sort of city centers have CCTV cameras all over the place? Well, if we've got something that's visible, then it might deter people from, uh, from doing the wrong thing. And if we feel the big brother is watching, then... You know, maybe we'll be less inclined. But I, I think also that it's given the, the transient nature of uh, of the people within any organisation, relying on technology that's still going to be there is well. You know, we could get these guys highly trained and get them to police it. But what happens when they leave? Um, and what happens if they're actually in league with someone? So I think that people see the technology as infallible, um, whereas it, it really needs to be a part of the solution. Um, you asked about, therefore, taking an integrated approach, uh, the sort of thing that, that we're bearing point would work with people. Well, it's, it's wrapping up those, those various different components. Uh, our standard starting point for almost anything is to look at the, the three streams of people, process, technology. And I, I think that this is an area where Rogue traders are clearly people. So what drives people to do it? They are going around the processes or avoiding the processes or working their way through loopholes in the processes. So looking at the process is important. And the technology is an angle of it, but it's one that hopefully helps us find things when they're happening, uh, minimize the chance of them happening in the first place. But it's only one of those strands. Um, and, and I think the final uh, part of your question was about can technology, um, it, where technology is supporting this rather than driving it, which uh, is, is in line with the, the integrated approach. Can it speed up results? Well, yes. Um, I mentioned about the, the data mining, looking for patterns. Well, clearly that sort of thing, given the right sort of analysis tools, I can see that a lot faster. I can see that a lot clearer. Um, if I'm going around collecting this stuff manually, um, I'm, I'm not going to spot it. Having the right sort of technology in place to do reconciliations between front office systems and back office systems, between the bank systems and central counterparties or exchanges or clearers can help flag up stuff a lot earlier than um, we might find it otherwise. Um, and just the sheer manpower that might be involved in having to do this will We'd, we'd make mistakes, we'd miss stuff. So, yes, it can speed it up, uh, but again, it has to be wrapped up in, in all of the other pieces. Andy, appreciate the time. Thanks a lot for uh, joining us on this podcast. It's been a pleasure.